On first down, they hand off to Marlon Mack. Huge hole, 50-yard line. He's at the 40, still going near sideline. He's at the 10, he's at the 5, and he will score. Touchdown, Marlon Mack. Touchdown, I-N-D-Y. And again, it's picked off. It's Darius Leonard. Leonard with a second INT, and he's streaking down the near sideline. He's at the 40, he's at the 30, he's at the 20. He's going to go. A pick six for the Maniac. Horseshoe is back, baby. The horseshoe is back. Hey, what's going on, Colts Nation? Welcome back to the Bringing the Juice podcast. On with us, friend of the show, from the fan, Mr. Kevin Bowen. Kevin, thanks for joining us, man. How are you doing? Doing great, Cody, and I saw you got a little love from the old Darius Leonard bring the juice quote, and I must say, having, you know, being at practice, bring the juice from Frank Reich and Darius Leonard, probably the two more popular uh, comments that you hear every day of practice with those two going back and forth. Absolutely. I mean, it's crazy because, you know, we just decided to do that because we saw Frank Reich's shirt last year about bring the juice, and we had a couple different people telling us, you know, that's not a Colts name, but here we are, man. I love it, man. I love it. So, Kevin, you just posted an article for the fan, and also you talked about it a little bit on your podcast. Uh, And we kind of want to update our listeners a little bit on the Colts' rookies so far. Now, obviously, they've had some practices, padded practices down, and obviously they just had a game simulation at Lucas Oil Stadium on Monday. I'm curious on your thoughts on all these rookies, and we'll start with the wide receiver Michael Pittman. What was your thoughts so far in camp? Yeah, I would say it, it's been relatively quiet. Um, you know, I, I think his game can be a bit, um, you know, quiet isn't the right term, but, you know, he kind of can get you seven for 84 and you don't really know that it's that much. Uh, but then if he hits that deep ball, you know, like we saw against Utah last season or the Colorado plays, then it's like, wow. And, you know, he can be seven for 84, but when three of those catches come on third down or in the red zone, mm-hmm then that all of a sudden takes it to a whole other level. Um, but, yeah, you know, and, and maybe I'm basing this too much off of Monday's practice at Lucas Oil Stadium, but I think it was 40 passes completed in that practice and only one. Wow. Um, oh, only one target for Pittman. Okay. I, I don't think he had a catch. Mm-hmm. So just a hair quiet so far. Um, is it the most alarming thing in the world? No. I mean, we're a week and a half into training camp. I kind of always try to preface that and just say, you know, this is what I've seen so far. And, life in the NFL can be difficult for rookie wideouts. It's why, you know, A.J. Brown's the only 1,000-yard wideout this league has seen as a rookie since Michael Thomas. Um, so that's just kind of life at, uh, of it so far. But um, still, there's been some positive moments from Pittman. Um, I, I like his hands. There's been a drop or two. But you love the frame, and Phillip Rivers is a guy that's used to that. And I know Phillip Rivers is going to give Michael Pittman chances to make plays this season. Um, so, yeah, that's just kind of been – just a little bit of an up-and-down start to camp for him. Absolutely, man. And we knew, like you mentioned, Kevin, you know, Frank Wright, Chris Bell would have talked about it. That's kind of the nature of the wide receiver position, at least as a rookie. It takes a little bit of time for a lot of these guys. Thinking of Paris Campbell last year, it takes a lot of time for, for some of these guys to develop. So, uh, let's stay with this skill positions. Uh, Jonathan Taylor, the next pick in the draft. We obviously saw him first day of pads. He looked ginormous. He looked insane, and we obviously saw that video as well where defenders were bouncing off of him, and, and Tavon Wilson actually takes a fumble, takes tumble in that game. What have been your impressions overall of Jonathan Taylor so far? Yeah, I mean, certainly last Tuesday's practice indoors was the eye-popping one. That was the highlight reel 
um, that were kind of used to Jonathan Taylor doing it in the Big Ten. And I would say Marlon Mack honestly had that sort of day on Monday. Um, besides that, you know, nothing crazy from Taylor. He's had some catches out of the backfield. He's had a couple of drops. And that was, you know, a, a question on him coming out of Wisconsin. With running backs, it can be difficult, you know, because, again, it's kind of live, not all the way live. When you get in the open field, it's not really live. Um, and Taylor, you know, getting him into a rhythm, certainly he's rotating in with the starting unit, but getting into a consistent rhythm is not something that we've seen just yet. So I always think it, it is kind of really hard to get a great read on rookies. I still think he's shown the explosion. Um, he's clearly shown some sort of mental aptitude to be able to handle a role here in, in 2020. And I'd be very surprised if he's not um, doing something significant for this football team throughout the 2020 season. Yeah. And you mentioned it in your article, you know, him and all running backs, uh, they've been seeing a lot more passes out of the backfield this year. Now we know what Wisconsin wasn't necessarily largely tapped into in the passing department, more of just a run runner. Uh, what is your opinion overall on, on so far your impressions on him catching out of the backfield? Yeah. You know, when I watch him catch it, I don't feel like he's a guy that doesn't want the ball or, I mean, I think everybody can kind of see a natural catcher versus not a natural catcher. And, and I don't look at him and think he's fighting it or he's hoping it it's wishful thinking or it's like, you know, oh, you know, one, one of those things. But, um, you know, I, I remember Kevin Rogers, the director of pro personnel for the Colts, saying at Jonathan Taylor's pro day, he was one of the few pro days that actually got in before COVID, that he caught the ball beautifully out of the backfield there. And, I mean, think about it. If you're Paul Chris in Wisconsin, why are you going to run the kid in the ground on third down when he's gashing people for five and six yards on first and second down? So I wanted to have an open mind, you know, a, a, as a pass catcher for him, but then also realize he's never really done it. And the NFL pass catching is so much different than pass catching in the collegiate game for a running back. Um, I also think it, it can be part of his development that's really important. You know, Marlon Mack, I still think, is a really effective runner on first and second down. But if you can have that third down luxury, I think that's where people disagree with the pick of Taylor a little bit. It's like if he's not going to impact on third down, is he really worth it? at 41 overall because third down means so much in this league so I think it's I, I still think he can be you know very effective on first and second down and be worthy of that pick but I, I'm willing to listen to that debate um, so I think that is vital for him just to you know round out that that game I Hines I think is still going to be the guy but you know set up a screen you know do something to where you aren't tipping your hand totally when you come on the field of this is you know stone hands in the game and the Colts aren't going to throw them the yeah football. absolutely and then Julian Blackman, third-round pick this year out of Utah. He obviously hasn't been practicing yet because he's still recovering from that ACL injury he suffered last year at Utah. But some potential good news out of his camp. Uh, the Colts have said that they could potentially activate him in a couple weeks here. What are your thoughts and overall impressions on that? Yeah, you know, when you look at him and even he's done a little bit of on-field stuff to the side, he's a good-looking athlete. Um, and obviously the Colts were obsessed with them, you know, and realized they were probably going to be missing out on some of this rookie season for him. So, you know, activated here in a couple weeks, and that kind of aligns with the Colts' time frame. I mean, they thought, you know, not be ready for game reps until September or October, and 
you know, we aren't even to September yet. So it, I wouldn't expect them to play in September. Um, you know, maybe October he can get on the field. Uh, but yeah, I mean, and, and if you can get him into practice two to three weeks to ramp it up, maybe more he would need, obviously kind of sub packages early on, maybe some special teams, but you know, it goes without saying how critical he is to what that safety future looks like with the Malik Hooker um, situation as well. So Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, very eager to see him when he when he does get healthy. Yeah, and then Jacob Eason, um, he hasn't seen a ton of live reps yet, but you know we know he has a big arm. We knew that coming out uh, when the Colts drafted him. What have been your overall impressions of Jacob Eason so far? Yeah, I mean seeing the arm in person, it's it's eye popping. I mean it's it definitely makes you go, wow. Okay, I can see why. There was talk of him, whatever, in round one this time last year. Um, Unfortunately, just not a lot of reps to be thrown out there for the third-team offense, and Chad Kelly has gotten a good amount of them. And, you know, to be fair to Chad Kelly, the offense probably produced a little bit better with him in there than Easton, which you would expect. Chad Kelly's been in the league for, whatever, three or four years now and has been in this offensive system for a year. Um, But I thought yesterday's practice at Lucas Oil were really good for Easton. Five of nine, I thought he was even better than that, just throwing the ball, just had some couple drops. And, again, he just – he gets the ball from point A, point B in, in a quicker, um, fluid rhythm that not every quarterback yeah. can do. Honestly, probably many quarterbacks cannot do. Uh, now it's a lot more than that. He, he's got a lot to develop and, and learn. And, and, you know, I've stressed it on my podcast. No preseason games just absolutely blows for him, and it's mm-hmm. just a huge – um, hindrance in his development um, so it was good to see him get kind of an expanded look yesterday and uh yeah I mean it, it's I, I've seen him throw maybe 20 passes 25 passes in 11 on 11 settings so far in camp mm-hmm. uh, and I see the big arm and also realize that there's a whole lot of room for growth so huge year for him and, and you just wonder can he get that growth without having a ton of meaningful practice reps, potentially running the scout team. Right. And that was my question and been our question throughout this whole thing without practices, you know, it's like, how is that going to impact his and not just his, but all the rookies, you know, impact day one. I'm curious. So Danny Pinter and then the six round picks, have any of those guys stood out to you so far? Yeah. You know, Pinter working at right guard and center, you know, it's always hard for an offensive lineman to really impact, especially interior guys. You know, I think he'll factor into some sort of six, seven, eight spot on that line. I would say Rob Windsor of all the day three picks probably I've noticed the most. Windsor, quick first step, really benefited from no Sheldon Day at practice. Mm-hmm. You see the motor. Um, he could be a seventh defensive lineman. No one pays attention to, but he's getting, you know, 20 snaps a game, something like that. So, Windsor's been a guy that's kind of caught my eye. And I think Desmond Patman's been a little bit better than I thought. I thought he was a big-time project. You know, Washington State just rotated in and out, didn't run a massive route tree, you know, a very gadgety offense out there as well. Um, but he, he's made a few plays. I still don't know if it's enough because special teams will mean so much mm-hmm. to earn a roster spot. But um, that's what I've noticed with him so far. Jordan Glasgow, he's just – He's got to do it on special teams, period. You know, if he's going to make this team, he's got to be a stud on special teams like he was in college. Yeah, speaking of special teams, Rodrigo Blankenship, Hot Rod, he's better known as, he's obviously been in this kicking competition with Chase McLaughlin so far. How has that been going for him? 
you know, I thought he struggled, you know, notably um, on Monday's practice at Lucas Oil. Had a bad miss to the right from maybe 39 and then missed one to the left from like 53. I think he had three misses total. I want to say Chase McLaughlin was eight for eight and a hot rod went five of eight. Um, but, you know, he's kicked the ball, I think, pretty well outside of that. I mean, his numbers, and I know I haven't watched every practice. It sounds like his numbers have been a little bit better when we haven't been out there. But when we've been out there, McLaughlin has been the better kicker. And I always thought Chase McLaughlin needed to significantly struggle and hot rod, you know, really win the battle by 10, 15%, something like that. So, but uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of been my takeaway on the old kicker battle. Yeah. And I mean, we definitely agree there, Kevin. I think Chase was obviously the favorite coming into camp and then, you know, hot rod comes in and a lot of people are instantly on that hot rod. You know, he's the guy moving forward. And I'm kind of like, I'm just not there. Right. And Derek and I have said multiple times on this podcast, man, if it's not broken, why try to fix it? And certainly seeing Chase McLaughlin in game action, because that is the big difference, right? They were simulating game action as opposed to just kicking in practice. We saw Chase McLaughlin showed he's a little bit better under pressure right now. So ultimately, I think that gives him the advantage. Uh, Before I let you go, Kevin, I have a question about some of these other undrafted free agents. Any of these guys that the Colts signed, has stood out to you so far? Any of these guys really caught your eye so far? Yeah, you know, it, it's tough, Cody, for me to confidently say this is a guy that, you know, has a, I don't know, 40% chance to make the team, something like that. I, I just can't say that with a whole lot of confidence. There's been so many injuries at tight end that Farrard Green um, from Mississippi State has probably gotten the most reps of any undrafted free agent. I mean, first team reps at times because Jack Doyle and Trey Burton and Mo Alley Cox have all been in and out. So, um, he's been a guy that I've noticed. I, I don't know. It's just it, it's almost like is he out there so much that eventually he makes a good play, and I notice it. You know, it's it, it's kind of hard to, to 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 really realize what what's going on there. Having said that, you know, Frank Reich teams you should keep more than three tight ends. I think only three this year with a fullback if you're going to keep Nicks. But yeah, who knows? Maybe keep a fourth tight end and don't keep Nicks. So he's probably the one. Defensively, Travis Reed is a big corner. It really catches my eye physically. Noticed him a couple times in one-on-ones. Um, and then Cardinal O'Donnell, the undrafted Canadian offensive tackle. I don't know. I think there's something to work with. Really young for a rookie. Uh, maybe he's a practice squad guy. Yeah, I know Carter O'Donnell's been a name that some Colts fans have thrown out to me, along with some of these other guys as well. So, yeah. Well, that'll wrap up this podcast, guys. Thank you, Kevin, so much for coming on, man, and sharing your thoughts on the Colts rookies and their impact so far. Take care, my friend. You bet, Cody. Thanks for having me, man.